Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And you know that we're definitely genuine. We're not a crockworks. Ooh. <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying there. We're, we really are existing. No, because like... No, what? It's, no, it's pretty bad. That's, that's, I'll agree with you. That's the worst point yet. <laughs> going, down, going out on a low note. All right. Today we're doing the last of our three season wrap-up episodes. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about some of our favorites and some of our questions and theories, some speculation about the next season of Legion, since we know what's going to happen, and even into season three of Legion, because we've heard that that's already planned. So that's pretty exciting. So let's, yeah. get, in, let's get into this. All right, so, so break, let's break it down to our favorite what first? I think we should start with favorite episode. All right. There are eight episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. I like all of them an awful lot. But do you have a favorite episode of season one? I've forgotten all the names we gave the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I maybe should look that up. No, my favorite is The Monster Appears. It's the second last episode. It just has so many elements in it. And when we talked about it, we talked for so long because of that. It has the silent movie scene. It has and the cartoon. Yes, exactly. It has the 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 chalkboard cartoon scene. It has the two Davids and the British David. It has everything revealed about the Shadow King. It has uh, Carrie and Oliver being hilarious together and being in an ice cube. Yeah, and like it's just so many elements of that episode. I gotta say, out of the season in which, honestly, there's only eight episodes. All the episodes are stellar. It works as an eight-hour-long movie. It also works as each individual episode. It's like its own movie. But i got to say, that one, number seven, is the standout one to me. How about you, Paul? I agree. I know. <laughs> this is pathetic. Then. This is pathetic. I mean, we don't argue. We agree about everything. <laughs> um, I think... so. I agree for all those same reasons. So I'm going to say my second favorite episode. And when it comes to like, when it comes to that, really deciding on a favorite episode is so difficult because every episode is so good Mm -hmm. that it's, you know, the line between my favorite, my second favorite, my third favorite, my fourth favorite, all the way down to my eighth favorite. Yes, exactly. It's like razor thin. So I'm going to say though, that my favorite episode, episode i think if my favorite episode isn't episode seven the monster appears which uh it is for all the reasons you said (laughs) but next to it so close to it is episode two road to nowhere and as an episode episode seven is giving all these payoff and all these answers but episode two road to nowhere is where all those questions get asked Mm, and almost everything for the rest of the season, is seated in episode two. Happy Jack provides, you know, the scenario, but the specific season-long questions and mysteries and are all really begun in Road to Nowhere. Yeah. And they're begun so well, so intriguing, so interesting. Happy Jack hooked me on this show, but when I watched Happy Jack, mm-hmm. I came into the next one saying, are they going to live up to this? Yeah, definitely Road to Nowhere 
goes, okay, we're living up to the first one. Which and is, yeah. Happy Jack was like, I definitely want to watch the next episode. And Road to Nowhere was, I am watching this entire season. And do you want to do a podcast about it? Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So Road to Nowhere and Road to Nowhere is where we're introduced to autonomy, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the the whole mechanism of going through the memories in yeah, Road absolutely. to Nowhere. I think it's some of our best autonomy yeah. in Road to Nowhere. Some of our best Melanie, too. Some of our best or, like, an interesting Melanie. Yeah. So, I, all of these characters I want to know more about. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Carrie, Bill Irwin Carrie, is really, we don't see much of him, but he's really intriguing. I feel like if you think of the story as just about David then Happy Jack, at least for me, is one of my favorites as, because it's so, like, it introduces you to David. But then Road to Nowhere introduces you to the entire cast. And right. then that really hooks you because that entire cast is really good. And Happy Jack, what, what you just said, I'm not, I don't really have anything <laughs> to add. It establishes Road to Nowhere. You meet all the cast. You meet who these people are that we're going to care about. We find out more of the specifics of mm. David such good performances we get. I mean, Dan Stevens acting in Happy Jack is really, really good, but it's in Road to Nowhere that he starts playing different versions and ages of himself. And he starts like really flexing his acting muscle in Road to Nowhere in a way that Happy Jack, really compelling, but for all you know in Happy Jack, he could have been a one-trick pony doing Happy Jack. Like yes. a an actor with limited but specific range could have been good in Happy Jack, but by Road to Nowhere, that was no longer possible. Yeah. And also Aubrey Plaza, frankly. Yes, yes. oh yeah, for like, sure. In Happy Jack, we she's doing great work, but we're not seeing much in terms of her stretching out her range. And Road to Nowhere is where we start to see that. And I feel like The Monster Appears is where she like blows us out of the water. Well, but, not quite that late, but yeah, halfway. It wasn't until halfway through the season that you really got like what Aubrey Plaza was doing and who she really was. Yeah, we're kind of segueing into characters here. Do you want to keep? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think there's two different questions, right? There's character and there's actor mm-hmm. or performance. actor performance. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk so, about character first. Yeah, if you're cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Who's your favorite Who's character? Your, so hard to say, of course. <laughs> Because the default answer is, of course, David. David yeah. is my favorite character. Because the story is about him. But, on the other hand, I really liked Carrie and Carrie. That's two different people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and that's where I think character is not the same as performance. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a degree to which, in terms of performance, this is an ensemble show. But in terms of character, this is David's show. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And everyone, we've talked about this before, all the other characters exist to reveal some facet of David's character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Okay, but if I can, I'm going to go and pick my personal favorite. Yeah. Should I do that? Because, like, the person that I love to see on screen every time that genuinely I got to know this season and was like, this person is great, is male Carrie, Bill Irwin. Mm. I think he consistently was the funny part. I always like the comic relief of any show, to be honest. Like, that's just kind of my thing. 
So I really love what he's doing all the time. He, he's, he's this, what's the word? Unassuming, funny. He's this self-deprecating yeah. guy. But he has all this pathos and all this like connection with female Carrie and what their relationship is and how it changes and grows and fractures and the whole, just the, just in this part of their lives that happens to coincide with meeting David and his fracturedness. Yeah. And it's just, it's my jam. I like, I like Carrie. There is a lot of meat to Carrie as a character. Mm -hmm. Certainly. I definitely agree with that. And what, what you're saying about his, the kind of funny he is makes me think of our interview with Denny Gordon and her saying that Bill Irwin as a comic was uh, an instinctive comic. Mm. And it's, you know, I think he's the, we're talking performance, not character right now, but Bill Irwin's performance is, he always seems like he's not being funny on purpose, but of course he is. Mm-hmm. But he's that kind of comic where you're like, you can almost... He's playing it like the comedy is just happening. He's not, he's trying to play it straight, but he's being funny anyway. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't, just to be clear, I don't for a second think that is what's actually happening. No. But it's a kind of comic, right? It makes me think of in, author Connie Willis has a book where she talks about Fred Astaire and uh, Gene Kelly and that she likes Fred Astaire better as a dancer because he makes it seem easy. Gene Kelly makes it seem hard. Fred Astaire makes it seem like anybody could dance like this. Mm-hmm. And then you pay attention to realize you can't. But uh, Bill Irwin is a Fred Astaire comic. Mm-hmm. He seems like, you know, yeah, anybody could be as funny as him. And yeah. to tell you, start paying attention to how mm-hmm. definitely he's uh, extremely magnetic performance. Absolutely. Yes, very much. So and what about you? I'm torn so much and there's a pivot in the middle of the season Mm. and I can't decide because for the first half of the season, my favorite character is Patonomy. Mm. Mm -hmm. And for the second half of the season, my favorite character is Oliver. Mm. He's so not in it that much. He's not even a cast member. He's not even a cast member. So he can't be my favorite character for the season. And he can be if I want him to be, but he doesn't even show up. Right. Yeah. He has such a presence in the last half or even the last third yeah. of the season. And that's where Patonomy starts to fade away as a character, too. Yeah. In terms of, like, I think Patonomy is still my favorite character. I feel a little disappointed with how he's used in the last two episodes. Um, and even maybe the last three. Although, no, in It's a New Day, when we're suddenly in New Clockworks, Autonomy is actually fascinating in that episode. Mm-hmm. So up till episode, up to and including episode six, Patonomy is my favorite character. I'm a little disappointed not to have seen more of him. And maybe that just underscores how much he's my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Because give me more Patonomy. What's Patonomy up to? And whenever he's not on screen, people should be asking each other, where's Patonomy? <laughs> What's funny is talking about characters and when I go through the list in my brain of like all the characters on the show I don't even include Lenny no I'm like Lenny is like this whole separate category yeah because like Aubrey Plaza is playing back in time Lenny and who turns out to be Benny and she's playing actual clockworks Lenny and then she's playing the Shadow King Lenny but then also there's the the devil with the yellow eyes and the angriest boy and all these other things and so it's like 
it's hard to even think of her as a character, even though it's, it's hard to pick her as a favorite just because it's so complicated, which makes the show so good, is this complication. I mean, I, and I think, I kind of feel like when we talk about favorite character in this episode, we just have to put David and Lenny slash the Shadow King both to the side because they're too big to, yeah. like, if you want to, if you want to say that you love them so much, you can't even consider one of the more minor characters as a character. If you want to say that, you know, say what you want to. But for me too, I just like, mm-hmm. I have to talk about them both in a different breath. Mm-hmm. Especially Lenny, especially Aubrey Plaza slash the Shadow King. Because like you said, Aubrey Plaza is playing so many characters and she's not the only one playing the Shadow King. So yeah. how exactly to talk about that in terms of... Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then that segues into performance. Who is the best performer? It's Aubrey Plaza. I, like, I mean... There is no question. You can talk about secondary performances, but Aubrey Plaza is phenomenal. And Dan yeah. Stevens is also phenomenal in this show and is doing amazing things. And frankly, everyone. All of the actors are doing a fantastic job because they have there's so much weight to carry. But Aubrey Plaza is doing such such heavy lifting here. She is like the, as I said throughout the show, throughout our podcast, her precise control of her body and every movement she makes, every word she says is calculated and precise and just exactly what the character needs and it's amazing to watch. Yeah. And amazing that, like, you don't even realize it until, like, you watch it ten times like I have. You don't even realize how precise she is and every move that she's making is is perfect for that version of the Shadow King at that time. Yeah. Yeah. No argument there. I said a second ago that when we're talking about character, we have to put Lenny and David in a bit of a different breath. I think Aubrey Plaza is so amazing. It's like saying, which, who's your favorite performance on Orphan Black? Well, it's Tatiana Maslany, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, because of course it is. Yeah. And who's your favorite performance in Legion? Well, it's Aubrey Plaza, because of course it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit less of a standout because uh, I think because Dan Stevens is almost doing as yeah. he's doing such a great performance that it would like, if anybody but Aubrey Plaza was being, if she was one fraction less good, he would be. Yeah, the yeah. best performance on the or there were my favorite performance. Let's not say best. Let's say my favorite. Yeah, exactly. Um, because they're all doing amazing. Like, and to be like really clear, also your performance, an actor's performance is mediated by what they're called upon to do. Oh, absolutely. So we're not. I'm not at all saying that the other performers are not capable of also giving amazing performances. But mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza is asked to do this and does, mm-hmm. and it is fantastic to watch and amazing mm-hmm. and like so yeah yeah our plaza favorite performance no like with a bullet she's well, so good as you're saying what they as they act depends on how they're directed so then who was your favorite director this episode and maybe we should go down the list of who directed each episode to be clear on who all the directors were sure so just to refresh who d- directed each episode, because I don't expect everyone to just know that off the top of their heads. Uh, 
Chapter one, Happy Jack was Noah Hawley. Chapter two, Road to Nowhere is Michael Uppendahl. He's also chapter three. Uh, shall we begin? Chapter four, The Undiscovered is La- Larissa Kondracki. Chapter five, What's on the Other Side is Tim Melance. Chapter six, It's a New Day, Hero Murai. Chapter seven, The Monster Appears, Denny Gordon, who we interviewed. And then chapter eight is Michael, Michael Uppendahl again uh, for the last episode that we called If I Ruled the World. So the, so the we have there Michael Uppendahl doing three episodes. Right. So do you have a knee-jerk immediate answer to this question? I kind of do. Okay. But maybe it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. What's, ho- your, what's your answer then? Noah Hawley. Noah Hawley, director of... Because I feel like... Noah Hawley is Noah Hawley's vision. And speaking to the three people we did who were involved in making this show, it's Noah's vision. Yeah. Noah Hawley is the person. This is his baby. This is his show. And he didn't direct every episode, but his hand is on everything. And so I think that, that Happy Jack set the tone for the entire show was his, and that was his tone that he set, and therefore he is the best director of them all. I was also going to say a couple minutes ago, when we were talking about our favorite episodes and stuff, is Happy Jack has a special place for me, and I'm going to talk about it with directing, because there are a lot of, I watch a lot of TV, there are a lot of shows out there that halfway through watching it, I'm kind of picking up my phone, and I'm just like, I'm just checking a couple of things, and I'm I'm not fully focused. I watched Happy Jack and I did not take my eyes off the screen for a second. I didn't, I don't know where my phone was during that point. I don't know. I watched an episode of Legion with a glass of water in front of me and I forgot to drink it. That never happens. And it's an extra long episode. (laughs) And it's an extra long episode. Exactly. It's an episode and a half. And so I feel like that says Noah Hawley, best director. He captured my vision. His vision captured my vision that I couldn't look away from that. And it, then it, that filters down to set the tone for every episode since then. I mean, what about you? just to add to that, when we talked to uh, Craig Robleski, the cinematographer for several of the episodes, he said that the relationship between the cinematographer and the director is like the relationship between an engineer and an architect. The director has the plan and the cinematographer makes it happen. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think... As you said, all the people we interviewed, including Denny Gordon, who directed an episode, mm-hmm. talk about Noah Hawley like the architect of the show. Yeah. Like, there, she definitely saw her job as m- making Noah Hawley's vision happen. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the visual language of the show, Craig Robleski confirmed what you were saying that. The cinematographers make it happen, and it evolves, and they develop it, and, uh, you know, between Craig and Dana Gonzalez, the other cinematographer, they add a lot of the vision, Mm -hmm. how it happens, but they're playing in Noah's sandbox that he made. So, like, he gives them the tools, he gives them the language, what they do with it requires real artistry, not to diminish all the other directors at all. Yeah. But there is definitely something to what you're saying that... And even Denny Gordon says, she said that, 
you know, that silent movie part that we loved so much. Well, that wasn't even designed to be that way. That was Noah Hawley taking it afterwards and changing it. So even with other directors, he is, yeah, heavily involved. It makes me think back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and something that writer Jane Espenson said about writing on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She said... Whenever she talked to fans and they said, oh, I mean, this episode you wrote, my favorite part was, it would be your line that Joss Whedon wrote. Yeah. And I feel like talking to Denny Gordon and saying, oh, that silent movie section, and her saying, that was actually Noah Hawley's vision. Yeah. Is, he's the, you know, you knew this already, mm-hmm. but it's that actual experience, the, my favorite part of your episode was the part that Noah Hawley helped with <laughs> yeah. and was most involved in. Yeah. So I'm not going to, co- once again, I'm not going to copy you. Um, I have such a hard time. And if I'm going to call, like if I'm going to consider them, I have to think through Michael Uppendahl did such amazing work. What do I think is the best directed of his three episodes will help me decide whether I think he's my favorite director. Mm. And I think the bet my favorite direction by him is in the road road to nowhere which is beautifully directed both in terms of characters and in terms of visuals and i remember when we wa- were talking about it we talked about how the surreal aspects uh were really like you always understood what was happening yeah. despite how confusing things were mm-hmm. and he had visual uh tricks that no one else used yeah that were really interesting and compelling. If I want to talk about, if I want to think about uh, Larissa Kondraki, who directed episode four, The Undiscovered, think about the fight scene Mm. between, like, when you have Carrie and Carrie and the dance fight scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. She directed that. Dang, that's a really good scene. As well as, you know, (laughs) that she also directed the conversation with, uh, with, Sid and Carrie in the woods when we start to really understand Carrie as a character Mm -hmm. into so small character moment and also action moment so both well done. Uh, We'll pick one. (laughs) If I want to talk about... You can't just talk about everyone. You know everyone. (laughs) Tim Neelance, what's on the other side? The, like, creepiness of playing the... You're giving, Banjo. An, you're giving an Oscar speech where you're like, I have to thank oh, everyone. I have to thank everyone. <laughs> My favorite director, though, is Denny Gordon in uh, episode seven. And I'm not just saying that because we are close personal friends now. <laughs> um, of course, we interviewed her once. Despite what I said earlier about my favorite part about that episode was the, uh, something that uh, Noah Hawley had direct impact on. Noah Hawley suggested they make it a silent film, and Denny Gordon did it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. She took what had already been shot, worked with editors. She, both beautiful single shots in conception, like the red phone box with white all around. Yes. And the, like, humor, the, I think that Monster Appears is just an gorgeous episode of television beginning to end it is um and you made me stop but i'm just gonna shout out to hiro murai 
I was building up to him because <laughs> uh, the dance sequence yeah. in It's a New Day. Yeah. It's hard not to put that at the top, not yeah. to make that mean that that episode is at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything else in that episode, there's so many moments in that episode. Yeah. But this is just such a well-directed show. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So, Noah Hawley gets your vote as best director, or as favorite director of this season. Now we're moving into another category, which is writing. And here, I'm going to say, before I throw it to you and you (laughs) put me in the position of having to be like, me too, I have to think someone else. (laughs) I'm going to call Noah Hawley as favorite writer of the episode, as favorite writer of the season. Yeah. And the episodes that he's credited as writing are Happy Jack, Road to Nowhere, and If I Ruled the World. I think the writing on Road to Nowhere and Happy Jack both, and If I Ruled the World, but especially for me, Road to Nowhere is my favorite writing in the whole show. And my favorite moment of dialogue or of uh, speech in the whole show is David giving his speech about what did the stars say. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's fantastic. That is such well-written. It's beautifully performed, but it's so Mm well-written. And we've now read, I mean, since we talked about Road to Nowhere, we have now seen season one of Fargo and part of season two of Fargo. And Mm -hmm. I'm not letting this affect my uh, judgment here, but Noah Hawley can write him a story, a Mm -hmm. character a character just decides to tell a story. Yeah. He loves doing that. He does that throughout Legion. And when you watch Fargo, you realize even thing, more that yeah. it's an idiosyncratic thing about his writing. Mm-hmm. And I've read his novel as well, uh, Before the Fall. Yeah. Um, and I recognize that uh, tendency in all of his writing. Mm-hmm. But he does it so well. And he does it well in, he does it well in Road to Nowhere. Is it well throughout this series? Mm-hmm. And I think we already know that uh, despite, you know, these people's names are on them because they wrote it, but we know that Noah Hawley is, wrote the grand vision of the whole season. Yes. So in terms of plot, like in terms of dialogue, Noah Hawley gets my uh, yeah. vote as favorite above all for that uh, what to the stars stay speech in Road to Nowhere, but throughout. But in terms of story, I think this is his story throughout. Yeah, yeah. I think no one else, I mean, people I'm sure contributed ideas, but we talked to Jeff, when we talked to Jeff Russo and he said the first three seasons are planned out, yeah. uh, they not, it's not that they are planned out. It's that Noah Hawley has planned them out. Yes, exactly. So he is writing the story. He's writing the development. He's, you know, developing these characters and these ideas collaboratively, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. But I think there's no question at all for me that he is my favorite writer and the writer of this show. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I basically agree. Noah Hawley is the best writer of of the bunch. I mean, there's only... Uh, five writers total. There's Noah Hawley, Peter Calloway, Nathaniel Halpern, Jennifer Yale, sorry, four altogether. So for the eight episodes, there's only four writers, and Noah Hawley 
just stands above and obviously is has his finger in every script. Yeah. And his dialogue in this and now watching Fargo as well is phenomenal. It sounds like the way people talk. Yeah. And notice them like, uh, it's just... Uh, the way that the way his characters interrupt people. each other and themselves. Exactly. And yeah. don't finish their thoughts. Like he, what uh, he does so well, I think one of many things he does so mm-hmm. well, but believable dialogue is incoherent. Right? Yes, exactly. And so he writes people talking incoherently, and then he also writes people telling an economical story with a fantastic point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. he can do both of those things. I think we need to give a big shout-out to Jennifer Yale, who wrote the only person yes. who wrote only one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she wrote favorite. Favorite. The Monster Appears, yeah. right? She's the credited writer. All four of the right or all three of the writers are also credited producers or executive producers or yeah. I I don't know whether it's executive or not, but uh, clearly they're all in in a writer's room, help contributing to each other, helping plan out the the story for the whole season. Um, so I am I have no doubt that all of those other writers contributed to all of the scripts we should make that clear yes absolutely so next question there's a lot of music on this show there is yeah and there's actually several outright musical numbers mm-hmm. if we want to talk about favorite things what is your favorite musical number or musical performance in an episode of season one of Legion. Let's go over what they all are, because pe- people might have forgotten. Okay, take us are, away. Take it away. We've got episode one, Happy Jack, has them all dancing to the, like, it's kind of the Bollywood-esque dance to a French song. We yeah. have the beginning of Road to Nowhere, Rachel Keller is singing Road to Nowhere. <sighs> It's not specifically, you don't see her mouth moving singing, but it's her singing. Yeah, I don't know that it's Sid, uh, but it is Rachel Keller. As in terms of musical performance, Jemaine Clement's dancing in The Undiscovered. Uh, then we have Dan Stevens playing the banjo and singing Rainbow Connection <laughs> in a very scared way. We've got Aubrey Plaza doing the Feeling Good dance in It's a New Day. Jimmy Clement conducting Bolero and in the air, making the words in the air. And then Jimmy Clement again, for a third time, singing to himself, if I ruled the world, as he walks away with the Shadow King inside of him. So, once again, so many things that blow me away, <laughs> it's hard to decide. I'm going to throw out immediately Jermaine singing at the end. Yeah, uh, that's a bit not really. It's great to see Jermaine Clement singing because he's a singer. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of performances on this series, that one is, it's not in the running for my favorite. Yeah. And I'm also going to throw out, although it's one of my favorite moments in the whole show, as a musical performance, I think Jermaine uh, conducting Bolero uh is not going to be my favorite. I think it's a fantastic so moment. So good, though. Yeah, okay. But I don't think it's, as a musical performance, my favorite. Mm-hmm. So what is, then? Oh, but it, So then, okay. 
What I'm I... Gonna, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to guess that you're going to pick Upper Plaza's dance, and I'm going to pick the Rainbow Connection. Mm-hmm. Is that what's going to happen here? That, that might be what's going to happen here. That's, that's probably my plan. I mean, I do love that weird Bollywood dance scene in the first episode. Yeah. But... My favorite is Dream of Connection, especially since I found out he learned how to play the banjo. Specifically, specifically to, do to do that. Oh, man. Because it's so, it's a song that I love. I love the Muppets. I love Kermit the Frog singing that song. Mm-hmm. And then to give it this whole creepy twist was so cool. And Dan, and, uh, Dan Stevens is just really good. He's selling it. He's selling it as like, I'm both singing this. But I'm also terrified. Yeah. So that is my pick for favorite musical number. What I have, I have an incredibly hard time choosing between the Pope Lola Bollywood dance sequence in Happy Jack, Rainbow Connection, which I'm not going to pick because you picked it, but I'm going to put my voice out there saying that I just have such a hard time mm-hmm. and the dance Aubrey Plaza's dance mm-hmm. in uh, it's, a new, it's day. a new day her dance to the song feeling good in it's a new day and you're right I am gonna pick it's a new day that is in- <sighs> <laughs> well you've added it to like our like dance mix that we play at our house like it's a good of a song like you like like the it's song. such a good song it's such a good performance it's so well directed mm-hmm. as a sequence. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I like it. It speaks to character. It speaks to theme. Yeah. It speaks to it's just bloody entertaining. Yeah. It, it's so amazingly good. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm gonna pick, if I was going to take a sequence out of the entire show, uh, the silent movie section and the. Uh, Aubrey Plaza dancing to It's a New Day are like the two sequences that you just watch over that I would just watch again and again and especially It's a New Day because the silent movie section and and that's where like Joanne Clement uh, conducting Bolero is so amazing but it is not the best part of that sequence yeah right but Aubrey Plaza dancing and the direction of that as a music video, Hiro Murai, who directed the episode, is a music video director, yeah. is best known as a music video director, and it shows yeah. uh, that he knows how to put together a music video, and there, yeah, it is a music video. Yeah, it is so good. Yeah. I thought also, I need to also mention, uh, it's not specifically a musical number like the other ones are, but... Uh, the choir and crickets when uh, when Sid gets the headphones put on her in the fake clockworks and the song plays and it's the choir and crickets written by Jeff Russo. Uh, that song is so good and like that song is so beautiful and we have every morning in our house to help our kids wake up we play a little song list and that's the very first song we, we've added to our song list is that choir and crickets because it's this beautiful little soft tune. And now, like, I have good feelings about that song. And it's, you know, you know something is good when you add it to your regular life. Yeah. And we literally listen to that every single day. Yeah. That so choir and Shout out to that so choir. shout out to that. I want to, I mean, maybe this is unnecessary to name everyone one at a time. But uh, Rachel Keller's singing Road to Nowhere. It's beautiful. My jaw dropped when I was listening to it. 
yeah. for like such a good performance. And then when I went back and I like I wasn't familiar with the song. Yeah. Uh, when I went back and listened to the Talking Head song "Road to Nowhere," and it's like, unlike Rainbow Connection, it's not a great song. Yeah. Well, and that, that that part of it is only a tiny part of it. That part of it is only a tiny part of it, and then it's very '80s song. I mean, it's not a terrible song, but it's a Talking Head song, right? Her performance of it is beautiful. Yeah. That she deserves uh, to be mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. They all do. All right, we're going on and on. We need to move on. I know, this is gushy. To uh, your favorite version of Lenny. This is a fun little thing. Favorite version of Lenny? Oh, no, no. Favorite version of the Shadow King. Favorite version of. I think think we should ask favorite version of the Shadow King. Favorite version of the Shadow King. So they are. The various Lennies. There's the angriest boy in the world. There's the devil with yellow eyes. There's the dog. There's the dog king. I think the most shocking version was the dog. So yeah. I, kinda, I like that as a concept yeah. that we had from the beginning. Child David had this dog. He talked about this dog. He, you know, it was always there. There was always this kind of barking in the background. And then suddenly this bombshell of, we didn't have a dog. There was no dog. The dog's name is King. If you're familiar at all with the comics, that is your big hint. Yeah, I mean... I was going to say that the scariest version is uh, the angriest boy in the world. Yeah. Except that in a different way, the scariest version is King. Yeah. Because when you realize this threat that has been there unnoticed as a threat all along, there's a kind of scariness that that's scarier than anything. Yeah. Um, The angriest boy in the world is incredibly creepy and mm-hmm. scary. And when he first yep. appears in the real world, I like, oh. yeah. yeah, super creepy. And let's not downplay the devil with yellow eyes yeah. as a presence Absolutely. in this show. But yeah. I mean, not to keep playing the same drum, not to keep saying the same thing over and over and over. But I think Lenny, as she appears in the silent film section of The Monster Appears is my very, very favorite incarnation of the Shadow King. Hmm. She's so compelling and so threatening. She's like in her power, she's kind of revealed in her power. Hmm. And that's, there's something really uh, both frightening and satisfying about that at the same time. Hmm. I like, I like the part of that. I like the part right earlier to that where she comes through the mirror into the real world. Mm. where she suddenly goes from being in his head, being in this weird space to suddenly she's pushing through the mirror and she's there and she's confronting Amy and she's creepy. Yeah. I think that's in what's on the other side. Yes. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of favorites. Lot of favorites. We started us talking about our favorite things in this season. Yeah. Oh. Everything's my favorite. Everyone. Every part. So should we move? Let's, yeah. Sever so, the favorite things and move on to... We talk, well, we talked favorite. about... I just want to say, we talked about... Um, in season... In episode 7, The Monster Appears, one of the things we both really liked about it was that it answered a lot of questions. Didn't answer all the questions. Sure didn't. There are things, even from season 1, that we have not seen answers to. Mm-hmm. So I think it is worthwhile to spend some time... Spend just a second saying... 
what do we end this season still not knowing the mm-hmm. answer to? Either questions that are raised early in the season or questions that come up at the end. And let's just kind of name what those questions are before we start trying to answer any of them. Yeah. So what do we still not know? What questions do we still have? We still don't know what the Shadow King's looking for. So They went someplace warm to know to find out. The last two episodes, the monster appears, and uh, if I ruled the world, the Shadow King says, where is it? I'm looking for it, and we don't mm-hmm. know what that is. Yeah. Those are questions raised near the end of the season. Yeah. Pretty clearly raised to be what's addressed in the next season, yeah. I think. Even in episode seven, yeah. they're not raised. I didn't think we were going to get answers to that in season yeah. seven. Yeah. I mean, in season one. I mean, along that same lines the mysterious ball that comes and zaps up David in the after-credits yeah, scene, scene yeah. of If I Ruled the World. Yeah. We don't know anything about that. Nothing. So that's all gonna, what's going to happen in season two. We still don't know, and we may never find out, what happened to David's mother and his biological mother. Yeah. We have this weird thing where, like, he killed, <clears throat> the angriest boy killed his mother, and David is the angriest boy, maybe? So, did David kill his mother? What happened there? And who is Professor X? Who is his... uh, Who did he sleep with to have David? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Who's David's biological mother? Yeah. And what happened to her? Yeah. We just... That we have barely even raised. Yeah. Right? Like, there's subtext. Yeah, you and I can talk about that. We can talk about But the show... show I am sure that the show creators that Noah Hawley knows that that is a question that hasn't been addressed. Yeah. But on screen, David hasn't really even cared about his biological yeah. mother. And yeah, you might feel like we've seen answers, but the anger boy in the world and his connection to David's mother, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't answered at all. No. Um, nor, nor really anything about David's father. There seems to be like... Yeah, his father his died. Yeah. How did he die and why? And was that connected to all he this stuff? He couldn't visit him because he was in the hospital when he died. Yeah. So, who knows? Basically, I yeah, mean, David's biological parents have a big question mark. David's over their adopted head. parents. David's adoptive parents have a big question mark over their head. They do. We st- also, this is a thing that I don't know whether we're ever going to get more of an answer than we did, but. We never actually heard what the stars said. What did the stars say? I've seen people on Twitter and in Reddit say that we did get an answer to what did the stars say, that it's uh, the rainbow connection is the answer to what did the stars say, or what, did, you know. Yeah, I guess. And that could be all the answer we ever get. But let's be clear. If that's the answer to that question, it's an indirect and oblique answer. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe that's the only answer we'll ever get, but that's not a clear and direct answer. And think about how on this show, unlike something like Lost, Noah Hawley likes to give us direct, full answers. Yeah, Generally, we get complete and full answers to questions, so I kind of think we might still get a more complete answer to what did the stars say. Yeah, I think so too. Um, the other question is about David's doctors. Is Dr. Kissinger dead? Is Dr. Poole dead? 
Yeah. Will we ever return to them? Will we ever return to Clockworks, to the mental hospital in either real life or in the astral plane? Is that just done? Because that's been such a major part of the first season. Mm-hmm. Are we just done with that for the second season? I don't know. Especially, I mean, especially the two doctors, because both of them are in jeopardy, but not clearly dead. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we would be cheated out of anything if we never returned to that. But I also think that's an avenue, an unexplored avenue that you yeah. could walk along a lot further. Yeah. What happened to them? Exactly. Are they dead? Are they alive? What is going on with them? We also, I feel like there's unanswered questions, uh, uh, still a fair number of unanswered questions about Walter the Eye, that he died and that was the end. But what exactly his powers were and how they worked? Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like that was ever fully answered. No. And then, I mean, of course, all the questions about Division Three and the divisions and the government... What how exactly? many divisions are there? And, yeah. yeah. And what are they doing and how are they, and you know, how, what will happen next? When okay, we, so should we answer some of these? Well, when we say, when we raise all these questions, I just want to be clear, we're not saying that, like, you better answer all these. It is fine to have some things that, yeah, you know, you make, you make narrative choices, you move in a different direction, having the audience continue to wonder things, especially some of these more minor details. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's important to note how many questions are left unanswered because of how the monster appears feels like it answers them. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them don't. Yeah. So let's have some wild speculation. Wild speculation. What do we think is going to happen with season two, with season three? What are the answers to these questions? Well, okay, so the Shadow King is looking for David's mother. He's looking for something. What I actually think he's looking for Professor X. He said or it though. He's looking for something on the astral plane. Yeah. Because they don't go anywhere specific. He's like, let's go someplace warm because he's been in an ice cube. I don't think they're looking for something that is in the physical realm. I think they're looking for something on the astral plane. And this is you mentioned this in our uh episode eight when we talked about if I ruled the world and I hadn't really clued into that, but I think you're absolutely right. Uh, He's searching for something on the astral plane, so it doesn't matter where they physically go, they're going to look on the astral plane. That's still vague. Wild speculation. What is he looking for on the astral plane? I do not know. Something to do with Professor X. I don't know enough about the comics to even speculate, but... I don't know enough about the comics. I... We said in our episode zero that we both have kind of vague knowledge of X-Men, mostly from TV shows and uh, movies. movies. I think I know it a little bit better than you, but not by much. I haven't read any comics about Legion. No. About David Holler. And when I, we started watching this show, I deliberately didn't go seek out any comics about David Holler because I wanted to experience the show because I was enjoying it so much. Or any comics about uh, the Shadow King. I do know that the Shadow that the plot of this season is very unlike any plots that happened to yeah. David Holler in the comics. So, I think what the Shadow King is looking for in the astral plane is some kind of astral weapon. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's an astral weapon that uh, he had and Professor X took from him in yes, their battle. Absolutely. I think it's some kind of... I'm going to speculate that it is an astral version of what Cerebro is in the real world. Oh. So it's an astral version of a powers-enhancing... Hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wild speculation that, is a wild speculation that it's an astral cerebro, astral. whether it's called that or not. <laughs> astral cerebro. <laughs> yes, love it. That's my wild speculation. Um, we speculated a bit about the ball that David's in. Yeah, back in the last episode. So put put it on recording. What is your prediction? Rather, like wild speculative prediction. What do you think is the answer? I think the answer is the ball has been sent by Division Three to trap David. I think when he's in Division, when he's in that ball, he's going to be. It looked kind of like a padded room. I think he's going to be straight jacket, padded room. He's going to think he's in a mental institution again, and it, even if that's retreading ground, it's going to retread it well because I think Noah Hawley knows how to write that well. So I think it's going to be another mental mental hospital, but this time it's controlled by Division Three. That is my guess. I uh, you you keep doing this to me. <laughs> that's exactly what I think. Also, I mean, beat really? by beat, that is exactly what I think. Uh, so Probably because we've talked about it a little bit, we have a little bit, but not that much. That uh, so we'll see in episode. I mean, we'll see in season two whether we're right. But that's what I think is going to happen. Is it's another mental hospital that's exactly uh, in the control of Division Three doesn't really exist. All right. Um, so, Paul. So, Jan. What did the stars say? <sighs> oh. What did the stars say? I think the stars said... I think the stars said, hurt your mother. Mm. I think the stars told David to hurt his mother. And he did, and that's what happened to his mother. And I think, wild speculation, I think that David hurt his mother rather than Shadow King hurt his mother. Mm, interesting. I, this is based on nothing. Yes, absolutely. But I think answering what happened to his adopted mother, adoptive mother, and what did the stars say, I think those things, I'm going to make two guesses. Those things are connected. What the stars said is actually the Shadow King talking to David. Mm-hmm. And what the Shadow King told David to do, he did. Maybe not uh, deliberately knowing it would hurt her, but maybe deliberate. That I'm not so sure. I'm not sure about any of this, but I haven't decided what I think. But I think that I don't think that the Shadow King, like, manifested power and took control of David to hurt his mother. I think he convinced Hmm. David to do something that hurt his mother. Interesting. Hurt or killed. I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to put here on the podcast, a speculation of killed. Thanks. Okay. How about you? What do you think think the stars said? I think the stars, stars said you have an entity living in you. Oh, really? I think the stars said I'm the shadow king. Ah, Okay. Maybe even you are the Shadow King, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Trying to, the stars were, talk, were always whispering hit to him who Lenny was. 
when you that's why he wanted to destroy it as soon as possible and forget it. He was always forgetting that. Yeah. When you say that, if the stars were saying who Lenny was, this is a not, this is changing my tune, but maybe the stars are not the Shadow King at all. Maybe the stars are some else, something else trying to warn mm. David about the Shadow King. Interesting. And that's why he can't remember what they said because the Shadow King prevents him from understanding and remembering what the stars said. And what the stars said is, hey, be careful. Yeah, maybe. I still think my first thing. Yeah. But that's possible. And what do you think? If, if I said what I think happened to his mother, what do you think happened to David's mother and other mother? I think both are dead. Mm-hmm. I think uh, David's biological mother died in childbirth. Mm-hmm. I think David's adopted mother was killed by David, but not in a obvious way because I don't think Amy knows that. Right. I think Amy, I think David's mother died by accident. That is actually David mm-hmm. when they were children and Amy basically raised him. Do you think we're going to return to his biological mother or is that just never going to be explained? I wonder if it might. I think it might be explained in like the she died in childbirth kind of thing, but I think no. I think it's going to be focused exclusively on Professor X as his father and his mother doesn't matter. I'm disappointed that that's probably how it's going to be, but I think that's how it's going to be. See, and I'm going to speculate that his mother is, that his biological mother is still alive mm-hmm. and that she's going to appear as a character in the next season. Or maybe in season three? Actually, I'm going to say she doesn't appear as a character till season three. All right. So, let's make guesses of the next two seasons. What's the plot of season two? I think the plot of season two is the Shadow King now is in Oliver's head. The battle, the major external conflict will be between David and the Shadow King now controlling Oliver. The internal conflict will largely be David still trying to cope with thinking that he's mentally ill, as you said. He's So he'll have to escape from the control of Division 3, relearn that he's not mentally ill, battle and defeat Oliver and the Shadow King's combined power, mm-hmm. and the season will end with Oliver returning at last again. Or the season will end with Oliver dead yeah, I think that's more likely. Yeah, that's probably more likely. I don't think Go. there's a happy okay. I don't think there's a happy ending for Melanie, which is why I think Oliver will die. Mm-hmm. I think the conflict will be yeah, it'll be about retrieving the Shadow King from Oliver. I don't know if that'll be the entire season because I feel like that's just the same thing we did in the first season. Right. So I feel like there's going to be some some separate conflict. Yeah. I think that there's going to be continued and strong conflict between Melanie and everybody else. Mm -hmm. That Melanie's only sole goal will be to retrieve Oliver at any cost. And it will cost her all of them. It will cost her Summerland. I think it'll cost her Summerland. I think Melanie has established herself as kind of a proto Magneto, even though she's not necessarily super powered. Mm Mm-hmm. She's definitely mutants. Yay, mutants are the future. We're I the believe d- the mutants are our future. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
Speaking of musical numbers, that's the best one of Plotworks, the podcast. <laughs> best and only. Yeah, I think that she's going to get more uh, um, evil is maybe a stronger word than I mean, but just I think Melanie is going to be more single-minded and negative as time goes forward. Mm-hmm. I think that the ball that David is in, he'll be rescued from, from by the end of the first episode. And it's my goal. It's my guess that that's not going to be a long-term thing. Okay. But I also think, and I hope that the plot will be psychedelic. It'll be weird and it'll be told in a very interesting and complicated way that I cannot possibly predict because I do not have the brain of Noah <laughs> Hawley and his way of, of, uh, of thinking and his way of, of, building a puzzle yeah with pieces missing yeah for sure and but i do predict a very strong prediction that someone at some point during the season will tell a story that is like a fable <laughs> that is like a fable and the fable will kind of have something to do with the episode but kind of make us go how does that have to connect to the episode and we'll it's, talk about it on this podcast <laughs> even more difficult uh, Jeff Reese has had the first three seasons plots were sketched out before he, like when he came on board before anything happened. Yeah. What's the third season going to be about? Well, what I wonder is, is it going to be done after three seasons? It seems like I've heard rumors that Fargo is done after this season. That's mm-hmm. a three season show. And I wonder whether clockwork, if whether Legion will be the same in that Noah Hawley's not the kind of person to drag something out at all. I no. don't. I don't think this is going six seasons in a movie. People, I think this is going for three, maybe four seasons. So I think that season three is going to be the push towards the end of David being fully in his power, fully uh, X Men e, but lots of people dead. I think there's going to be more deaths along the way and more new characters by the yeah. end. I think it will be David all the way along and David will be by the end of season three or by the end of season four, if there is one fully superhero mm-hmm. guy. I definitely Though I don't really even know what Legion is like in the comics. I assume he's, he's a hero, but maybe he's not. He, he's yeah. I don't know either. I was going to answer, but my understanding is all hearsay, yep. so I'm not even going to try to answer. Um, I agree, definitely agree with you. I think this is a three-season show. Uh, that already makes me sad. Mm-hmm. But I think I think if, if Fargo's a th- three-season show, uh, and if Legion is, if Noah Hall, the fact that there's eight episodes rather than 24, mm-hmm. like... What that speaks to is confidence, yeah. right? What that speaks to is a creator who says, when this is done, I'll make something else that'll also be good. And when he's done this and Fargo, I'll watch the next thing that he does. Absolutely, right? yeah. And trying to drag something out to 12 seasons is partly like because it, because it's good and I love it, but it's also partly because what if this is the only good thing I can ever do is what the people involved are thinking. And Mm -hmm. so they don't want to let go of it because they don't trust they'll ever be able to do anything good ever again. 
I think Noah Hawley knows he can do something good, and so do we, and so does FX, and so does the world, right? exactly. So, I totally agree, this is a three or maybe four season show, but if he had three seasons planned out before he started, I think he's probably going to end at three seasons. Also, who are we (laughs) kidding? This is Fox, they cancel everything we love. Is is it Fox? It's FX. FX is owned by Fox. Fox is 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 Fox. So like, it's just without the O. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just literally without the O. So Fox cancels everything we love, so it probably will cancel this. But if it cancels it after three seasons and he has a plan, then it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, it could be, I think based on the, well, anyway, there's a whole different level of speculation. So given that, I definitely agree that it's David's story it's about him growing and learning, and by the end of season three, he will have learned and grown to the point that we can be satisfied, right? I think there are two options for how your his growing journey is done. It's either done when he is self-actualized as a complete superhero guy, or he's dead. Or he's dead. Yeah. And if dead. you think he's a superhero, I'm going to say I think that he does not live past the end of season three. Aww. I know. But who does? But who does? I think Sid does. Mm. I think yeah. Sid is still standing at the end of season three and David isn't. But she's going to go off and meet Rogue and they're going to be best friends. <laughs> they're going to be so, they're going to bond so much, <laughs> but not physically. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my, I think, I don't know whether I think the Shadow King will still be existing in season three Part of me hopes so because I want Aubrey Plaza to be around forever. Mm-hmm. But and part of me hopes so because if she's in se- if she's in two seasons, I want her to be in all three. Yeah. I want her to either be in only one or all three. I don't want her to be in two out of three. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Just in terms of structure, mm-hmm. I think it's better. So I can't predict what Shadow King will be doing in season three, but I'm actually have talked myself into thinking that the Shadow King will still be the antagonist for season three. David will end season three, defeating the Shadow King once and for all, but dying in the process. And uh, Sid will still be alive and will have been, she'll be the one that will be completely superhero girl by the end of the third season of Legion. One last question. Yep. Is Professor X going to be on this show? There is a great little interview you can find on YouTube where uh, Patrick Stewart says, yeah, I'll be on it. But of course that has nothing to do with a- yeah. actor schedules and it's, casting and all that stuff. It was an interview that Dan Stevens and, uh, Patrick Stewart were both on and we should just, you know, say Dan Stevens great as he is to not have the authority to offer Patrick Stewart that job. Exactly. Right. So the fact that's that, all speculation. That's all speculation. I think it'd be great if he shows up. I think it would be great if he shows up as a cameo. I don't want him on the show more than like an episode, an episode and not even dominating an episode. Mm-hmm. If he like shows up for a second yeah. and Patrick Stewart is playing him, that would be fantastic. That would be pretty awesome. And chronologically, it should probably be James McAvoy playing him. Whatever. But who cares? Who cares? Who cares? I think actually, quite frankly, I think it'll be neither. I think it'll be neither. Patrick Stewart or James McElroy, I think it'll be a different, this is a different universe. This is a different. Yeah. Professor X. 
technically, it's uh, officially not a different universe. No. Officially, this is happening in the same universe as the X-Men movies. Yeah, but it has no time. I know. It's uh, not taking... It does not take any place <laughs> in any specific time. And the X-Men movies are such a continuity snarl that you could literally have anything and say it's happening in the same universe right. as the yes. X-Men movies, right? Because there's time travel and there's crazy oh, yeah. things. And there's... While we're speculating... Wildly, let's go into even wilder speculation. You said time travel. That's what I was going to say. I think episode three will involve time travel somehow. Right. And I'm calling now in the wildest of speculations that I don't actually think is very likely, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I think at season three will be Back to the Future 2. <laughs> You'll know, they'll like go back and it'll happen during season one. <laughs> that would be bananas. Maybe for just um, one episode. <laughs> That would be bananas. Um, <laughs> if you're going to go wild time travel thing, well, then maybe Sid is actually David's mother. Oh, oh please no. That would be disgusting and awful. But <laughs> technically not incest because they never actually touch each other. <laughs> okay, please. Stop. Please take that out of the I'm not taking it out, but I'm leaving this it right now in. <laughs> I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I said that. Okay. Um, Do we have anything else to say? Just more, to wrap up? more of the wild speculation before we're done. These are the wild theories that people have, and let's address them and say what we think about them. There's a theory, there's a going theory that this entire show has happened in David's head. That, you know, maybe beginning of next season, maybe end of season three, we'll pull out, we'll Saint Elsewhere, we'll end of uh, Wizard of Oz. It was all a dream. It was all a hallucination. None of these people are real. That's why they represent aspects of David so well. That's why the geography and time is so uh, okay. unclear. What do you think? I think Call it's it a, now. I think it's a fun theory, but bad storytelling. Yeah. I think because this is such good storytelling that that's a cop-out and a bad storytelling way. And so I think that it's a good theory and it's fun to speculate. Like, what? how much of it is in his head? There's a lot of things that are in his head and they go back and forth. Yeah. But to say, like, everything is in his head, no. I don't think so. Why is that bad storytelling? Just because if the, there's just a reveal at the end of all the seasons that... It was all in his head all along. It just feels cheap. It feels like yeah. that was a. There was no point to anything then. Exactly. That's what I would say too. Is it means that nothing ever had any real stakes, mm -hmm. and it means that uh, it's always bad storytelling when you withhold information from the audience just so that you can reveal it. And yeah. wasn't I clever? Like yeah. there's ways to reveal things and ways not to what this show does very well is keeps the audience confused, but not ignorant. Mm. So it gives us the information and the ability to figure things out. There are, if at the end, you know, if at the end we said, and it was all a dream that an alien was having about, you know, like the more yeah. outlandish, the worse the storytelling is. Yep. So it all being in David's head is not completely outlandish because no. there is evidence and Definitely clues to, to suggest that. But it would mean that nothing has real stakes except for David personally. Mm -hmm. And that reduces how emotionally and 
vested, we we will feel emotionally robbed at the end because yeah. I got emotionally invested in things that didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And I think Noah Hawley's too good a storyteller. I maybe, agree with you there. Maybe we're all just in Oliver's head. Maybe we are. Maybe this is all just Oliver's fantasy while he's lying in the... Or maybe the whole show will end with Noah Hawley as a cameo, stroking his chin and saying, yeah, that would be a good show. Fade out. <laughs> Noah Hawley sitting across the table I think, from... I think it's late we've gone too far. Okay. Um, thank you very much for joining us here on Clockworks. This was our third of three season wrap-up episodes, and I think it is the last clearly planned episode of this season. Yeah. We're in talks to do another interview. I won't say with who in case it falls out, yeah. but uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet. But if that gets confirmed, we'll do one more interview, and then we'll be done Clockworks for season one. If something suddenly happens we'll record another episode yeah. but i think you should expect that this is our last regularly updated episode until until season, season two. until season two starts airing which will be season two of clockworks as well uh i'm seeing on wikipedia that february so it's going to be about a year between seasons yeah um we might do some bonus episodes if you if we get some more patreon subscribers maybe we'll do some bonus episodes about fargo about the x-men cartoon yeah we found it on Netflix the other night, and it's pretty bad and pretty funny, so maybe we could cheer you up yeah, with that. Yeah, there are two episodes of the 90s X-Men cartoon that feature the Shadow King, and neither of them have anything to do with Legion. Nope. We could talk about those things. Um, we're also uh, in process of launching another podcast. If we get if we meet certain goals on Patreon, those two shows will exist at the same time, but if they don't, they'll be on opposite schedules of each other. So while we're on hiatus from Clockworks, we'll start releasing our other podcast, Way Too Seriously, which will be a podcast about children's movies uh, that we will watch and then... Take Way Too Seriously. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking of our Patreon, if you want that to happen and you want two podcasts from us in your podcast feed every <laughs> week, and of course you of course do, you we're do. so charming... Um, <laughs> You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can find us on Twitter to continue any of these conversations at, clock, at clockworkscast. You can also find our personal Twitters through that and interact with us personally. We love that. We are real people who you can talk to, dear listener. Mm -hmm. We're, um, we haven't been plugging this all along, but Clockworks is a member of the Good Stuff FM podcast network. So you can find us online at goodstuff.fm slash clockworks. And Good Stuff produces several other podcasts that are worth listening to. Mm. I personally really like Dailyish. It's not actually Dailyish, it's about weeklyish usually, but it's uh, about a 10 minute uh, thought by Chris Enns. Always interesting, always engaging. Mm -hmm. I like it. Me too. Um, so. Check out Good Stuff and the other fine podcasts produced by them. Also send us an email. If you have any more speculations about season two of Legion, we'd love to hear them. Clockworks, clockworkscast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.